Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, when things happen and we don't see them happen, we often want to know, how did this thing happen? Okay, and I'll give you a few examples. So you're walking out to your garage or you're walking out to your shop where your tools are, and all of a sudden, wouldn't you know, your 10-millimeter socket is missing again. Now, this one is the one that grows legs and runs away, right? So this, this one is always disappearing. But all of the rest of them are messed up too, and you say, oh, who did this? How did this happen? Right? Or like when I was a little kid and we were up at the lake for our end of summer into Labor Day uh, time at the lake, my grandpa would, you know, fiddle around with this, you know, this, the motor on this little Lund fishing boat, and he would, and then he'd like tweak the little choke a little bit and do it a few more times, you know, and, and it, was, it, was like a, it was like a whole ritual, right? You had to smack it on the side a couple times, and oh, what's the matter with this thing anyway? And then, if you didn't see it start, right, it was almost like, what did Grandpa do this time? How did it happen? What do you mean it started on the first pull, Okay. Or me, yesterday morning, helping fix breakfast for the kids, and I'm picking something up off the kitchen floor, as you do quite often when you have, you know, many little kids in the house. And I'm picking up, I think, maybe one Cheerio, or picking up somebody's soother, and then Cheerios just rain down. (laughs) And I look up, and I say, Audrey, how did this happen? What were you doing? As if those questions really, the answer to those is if those mattered, right? Because she's three years old and it's Cheerios in the kitchen in the morning. Like it's, yeah, the sky is also blue, you know, like, but right, there's, there's almost like a, if, if I knew how it happened, we could have avoided it. Or if I knew exactly what the sequence of events were, then I could actually like believe it. As it is, it's almost like an affront. It's offensive. What the heck? There are Cheerios all over the floor. That shouldn't happen. If you can relate to any of those situations, or it's properly something a little bit different in your life, I I suppose, then you already know most of what's going on in John chapter 9. This is an account, a story of Jesus changing somebody's life, right? That's what we're, these, these Sundays in March, as we approach Holy Week, it's, we started out with Jesus changing Nicodemus's life. Then last week, it was Jesus changing the woman at the well's life. And this week, it's this man born blind. Jesus changes this guy's life. And then the whole rest of the chapter that we stood for and listened to is, what do you mean you can see? How did it happen? What did he do? The neighbors want to know. The parents don't really know, but they don't want to talk about it. The Pharisees want to know. And then the Pharisees want to know again. And I think it's like that with us in our lives, too. Jesus meets us. Jesus does something for us whether we're talking about him saving us in general or deliverance from a a roadblock or a stronghold of, of, of Satan's forces in our lives with work or with relationships or with health or whatever it is, with our own sin. And people notice something is different and they say, how did that happen? What's different about you? And where we're going to land today, I'm going to, I'm going to give you this right from the outset, is our answer is the same answer as this man who was born blind. Jesus did this for me. 
Jesus, I don't know why it worked the way it did, but here's what I know. I was blind, and now I see. I was broken, and now I'm whole. And I don't have answers for all your questions except this one. Jesus did this for me. Okay, let's dive in. Here's the scene. Jesus sees a blind man. This whole story, Jesus is the main character, even though he disappears for the big chunk in the middle. And so we already have this thematic thing with blindness and sight. Jesus sees this man who is blind, and he looks at him in a way, he, he must have been staring at him, or just like kind of looking at him and thinking, kind of like I'm looking at Joe in the back right now. Sorry, Joe, didn't, make, didn't mean to make you feel weird. So his disciples say, Rabbi, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And how exactly they knew that he was born blind and that it, what didn't, it wasn't something that happened later? I'm not sure. Maybe it was just the word. Uh, maybe everyone knew. And Jesus' answer is that it's not about this man's sin or his parents' sin. Right? This is a question that they asked because, well, we teach this in the catechism. What does the Lord say about these commandments? The Lord punishes the sin of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation, right? So they see this thing, and they're like, man, who messed up that this guy was born blind? And Jesus said, it's not about that at all. God's glory is about to be displayed in his life. And we don't know how old this guy was, but think of that statement. This man's whole life, in a sense, led to this moment. Maybe that's why Jesus stood there and just looked at him for a while. Because Jesus all-knowing that he was fully God. Jesus knew the pain. Jesus knew the suffering, the abuse, probably, that this guy had to endure. He felt compassion, surely. And so he just savors this moment. And then Jesus does something that only God can do, right? What does Jesus do? He displays the glory of God in this man's life. And he does it in a very sort of peculiar way. Other times in the Gospels, when Jesus heals people, he just says something. Go, your child is, is, is healed. Or in the case of Lazarus, next week, he just calls out to the dead man, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus hops up and walks out of there, all wrapped in his grave clothes as he was. But in this case, Jesus does something that actually seems kind of gross, right? He spits on the ground, makes mud, right? Kneading clay which is one of the 39, I think it was, things that were specifically prohibited by the rabbis to do on the Sabbath. And here Jesus is just out in the open, breaking the, the Sabbath. And he anoints this guy's eyes before he says anything to him in the text, right? The guy maybe hears the sound of Jesus' feet and what's going on? And then all of a sudden it's like cold and wet and gross. Whoa. But think, yeah, thanks, Libby. But think back to Genesis 2-7. How did God make humanity? It's okay if you don't have Genesis 2-7 memorized. I got it right here in front of me. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the word who was in the beginning with God, the word through whom everything was made. And here, once again, the hand of God is using the dust of the earth 
and making clay out of it. And he is doing a new creative thing. He's doing what God does. He's working on man. And then the other part of this that is really interesting is that he tells him to then go and wash. It's not like he's healed right away. Just wipe the, wipe the mud off your face and now you can see. No, he says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash this stuff off. Excuse me. And John tells us that Siloam means scent. It means scent. Why do you think John tells us that? Yeah. Yes. So we know that Jesus says to this guy, go wash in the scent one. Go wash in the one called scent. That word came up earlier in this reading. John 9, 4. We must work the works of him who sent me. Who is the one sent from God to save the world? You just sang about him. God loved the world so that he gave his only son. Jesus is the one sent. Jesus is the sent one. And what does he tell this guy to do? Go and wash in the sent one. If you've been baptized, you've been washed in the sent one. When you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. That hymn that is, I mean, just a great funeral hymn. If you're doing some pre-planning. God's own child, I gladly say it. I am baptized into Christ. We're baptized into Christ. This is a picture of baptism here for the third week in a row. Last week, with the woman at the well, it was the living water that Jesus could provide. Even though he didn't have a bucket and the well was 144 feet deep, he said, if you receive the gift of God from me, I will give you living water that will become within you a spring welling up to eternal life. That's the Holy Spirit that's imparted in the waters of baptism. Isn't that great how we have our font right there by the baptismal window, by the way? That's a great idea, whoever decided that one. Okay. And the first week with Nicodemus, what did Jesus say? Unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Baptism, baptism, baptism. It's almost like this baptism thing is a major part of what Jesus came to do for us. Not just a weird, peculiar Lutheran thing. Titus 3, 4. 5 and 6 says this, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He tells this man, go and wash in the sent one, prefiguring holy baptism. Now we get to these reactions. The whole neighborhood ironically enough, is blind to the guy who's now had his sight restored. Jesus kind of disappears from the narrative because Jesus sends him to the pool. Jesus doesn't follow him there. So he washes and he recovers his sight. And now the guy who was blind his whole life can see, but none of his family and friends can see him. They don't believe it. That's not the guy. It, or it's, it's not the guy, but it looks a lot like him, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 it could be him. But the guy we know, I mean, he was, he was born blind. There's no way he could have been healed. 
And what does he do? I am the man. It's me. And people want to know, how did this happen? And, you know, he gives them this explanation. And then they take him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees want to know, what happened here? And they're big mad, the Pharisees, because you were supposed to be put to death if you worked on the Sabbath. Exodus 31, 14. God says, you must keep the Sabbath day for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. And to drive that point home later in the Torah, I think it's in Numbers, there's a story about a guy who was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, maybe for a fire or for cooking or for whatever. And the whole story is for something as innocent as gathering sticks The whole community gathered together and they stoned that guy to death. (sighs) Heavy stuff. The Pharisees are like, this guy is not from God at all. Except for they don't realize that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is the one who told everybody else, you got to observe the Sabbath. You got to keep it holy. He's above the Sabbath. If Jesus wants to break the Sabbath, he can go right ahead. Because he's God. That's his prerogative. Now others, perhaps Nicodemus, who we mentioned two weeks ago, or Joseph of Arimathea, both of whom were secret disciples of Jesus, but they were also Pharisees, so they had to play their cards very carefully. They were convinced by the sign, and they said, how could a sinner have performed such a sign? And so they're of a split opinion. And they bring his parents in because they didn't even believe that this man had been born blind. They're like, oh, maybe this is just a trick being played on all of us. And so they ask his parents, and his parents say, yes, this is our son. And yes, he was born blind, but that's all we would like to say on the matter, please, and thank you very much. Because if you were seen as giving any credibility to the idea that Jesus was the Christ, you were excommunicated from the synagogue. And in a community and a culture where everybody was part of the synagogue, being kicked out of the thing that literally everybody else was part of, is a very bad situation. You do not want that to happen to you. So they call the man back in again. And they say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. You might be right, guys. I couldn't tell you much about him. And I've been getting a lot of questions about this whole thing. So let me just tell you, here's what I do know. I was blind. Now I see. And so again, the Pharisees say, well, how did he do it? And at this point, he gets kind of cheeky. And he says, I already told you, but you didn't listen to me the first time. Wait a minute. Do you want to become his disciples too? Is that what this is all about, guys? Okay, here's, you know. And they say, no, we're not his disciples. You are one of his disciples. We are disciples of Moses. And let me tell you, friends, being a disciple of Moses is not really something to brag about. Because all the law does is show our confirmants where you at. The law shows our sin. The law shows our sin. That's all it does. The law can't give life. We're disciples of Moses. It's a much better thing to be a disciple of Jesus, isn't it? To receive the precious gospel promise that gives us life. The gospel that shows us our savior. You are a disciple of Jesus. The guy's like, yeah, I totally am. The Pharisees don't appreciate the um, attitude here. 
you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And so they'd kick him out of there and they're done with that guy. And Jesus hears that they'd kicked him out. And I'm not sure if he's actually been excommunicated now or if, or if you know, he had just been kind of handled roughly by them. But Jesus approaches him and they have this beautiful interaction. He comes up to him and once again, the man who was born blind who has been miraculously given sight by Jesus, he still can't see Jesus. In a way, he's blind to Jesus. And you can't fault him for that because he's never actually seen him. Remember, his, he, he regained his sight after Jesus was kind of out of the scene. And neither have you, now that we're on this subject. You haven't seen Jesus either. But Jesus has given you sight. You were lost, and Jesus found you. This is a beautiful thing about this story. What the story tells us about Jesus then, as he loved this man, and Jesus today, as he loves you. Jesus finds you, even though you were lost, you were straying. He gives you your sight, though you were blind. He binds up your heart. He makes you whole. He comforts you with his love and his promises. And then the cares of the world or the schemes of the devil, or our own sinful selves. We lose track of him. We don't see him anymore. And then people want to know, what's different about you? How did, this, how did this change happen in your life? I don't know, I don't know. I think it was Jesus, but I don't, you know, we don't see him anywhere. And Jesus could be mad about this. What do you mean you don't recognize me? I'm the guy who healed you. Come on, wake up, this is me. Show some respect. Show some gratitude. But that's not your Lord. That is not the Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. He comes graciously again to this man and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this guy says, who is he that I may believe in him? And just like Jesus revealed himself to Nicodemus and just like Jesus revealed himself to the woman at the well, he does it again here. He says, you have seen him. putting to rest his doubts about what had happened. You have seen him. But I thought he was blind. And when he actually regained his physical sight, Jesus wasn't there. What does Jesus mean, you have seen him? You can see Jesus without seeing him, in other words. You can see Jesus by faith. And now, Jesus just comes out and says it. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. And that's, I mean, we could just leave it right there. There's a little bit more. The Pharisees come up. Oh, we got time. We got a lot of time. Look at your watches. We're all like this guy, this man born blind. Jesus makes us see. And until he does, we are blind. And even after he calls us and redeems us and saves us and washes us with the washing of regeneration and the word and brings us out of darkness and into the kingdom of light, right? We heard a lot about darkness and light in the readings today. Even after Jesus gives us sight, we still are blind to him because we still are sinners and we still want to go our own way. We still just want to be on the throne of our hearts. We don't want to have another king who tells us what to do. And sometimes we can even fall into disbelief 
We get an attitude like the Pharisees. We say things like, I'm not blind. I don't need Jesus to give me sight. Or when we see the power of Jesus at work in someone else's life, we might say, I don't think they were ever blind to begin with. I think that person's just making it up. This Jesus mumbo jumbo is nice for uh, weak-minded folks who need something to latch on to. But, you know, I'm strong and independent, and I'm, I'm able to kind of just make my way in life on my own. To that attitude, Jesus says at the end of this chapter, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. If you reject the one sent into the world to open the eyes of the blind, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to die the death that you deserve as a result of your sin, if you reject him, your guilt remains. Part of receiving Christ is saying, I am blind. I am in need. And when all this, I mean, I know this sounds like a lot. Jesus saving us, redeeming us. But just remember, this guy dealt with so many questions. How did it happen? Where is he? What exactly did he do? What do you mean he spat into the ground and made mud? What do you mean he told you to go and wash in the pool? Why did you only receive your sight then? Other times when Jesus healed people, he just did it right there. Are you sure it was really him? Maybe it was actually the water. Were you really actually born blind? What does this guy say? Jesus did this. And he got it wrong about Jesus, too. (laughs) He said he's a prophet. I mean, that's partially correct. But Jesus is so much more than a prophet. And when the Pharisees say, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner, he says what? You might be right, actually. Technically, the categories and the theological explanation, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. And friends, you don't have to be able to explain in theological particulars. The, the, the plan of salvation for the, for the whole universe or the plan of salvation for you. You don't have to know what to call it in order to have it. You know what I mean? It's enough to just say, I was blind, now I see. And this isn't just a, a little particular thing of, of, of my personality coming forth here. This is what Christians have always said. At least for the last few hundred years. This is our song, isn't it? We started the service with it. We sing this. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Sing it with me. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Here it is. Was blind, but now I see. We love singing that. We love singing, I was blind, but now I see because of Jesus. And in your life, in your career, in your home, at school, you don't have to be able to give someone proofs for the existence of God or make a logical argument for how all of these pieces fit together, like the way some of this stuff is explained in the New Testament, to your friends, 
to your family who are skeptical about Jesus, to people who ask you, anytime there's an opportunity. This is just what it means to be a Christian who shares the gospel. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus saved me. Jesus did this for me. I don't have an answer for all of the questions. Some of it still doesn't even make sense to me. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you have a weak faith. Faith just says, this is what the Lord has done for me. Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen.